Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. You either in that moment decide that you're going to put your faith 100% into the Lord and just trust that he's going to do his part and fulfill his promises, or you decide in that moment that it's not going to work and then those blessings will not come. Welcome back. It's Jordan Nozak today, and today I am joined by Larissa Price. What's up, everybody? We'll kind of jump from the beginning, if you don't mind. So it's October 2012, and the prophet and president of the church, Thomas S. Monson, makes a historic announcement, changing the age of missionaries. Young men typically were serving at age 19, now they can serve at 18, and women is 21, was reduced down to age 19. Did you hear that announcement live? So there's a story behind that. Um, (laughs) So I um, was in college at the time and I was in, I was going to school in Southern California, but I was in Utah going to conference and visiting friends and hanging out with my older sister. And my older sister and I were at a friend's house And sorry, I get chills every time I think about this story. (laughs) Um, We were at her friend's house um, and we were actually, (laughs) this sounds so horrible of me. We were actually not actively watching conference. We were getting ready to go somewhere and her friend was watching it upstairs and come downstairs and I was changing and came out and her friend, as I was walking out, um, was explaining the new changes, missionary age change. Um, and as I was walking out, she was like, and the sisters now can go at 19. Um, and I was already 19 at the time. And my sister and I immediately locked eyes and I just, I just knew I was going to go. Like there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to go. And she just looked at me and she knew too. And she just looked at me and she's like, you're going to go, huh? And I was like, yep. And that was it. Like the, after that moment, like I had no doubt that I was supposed to serve a mission. And I mean, I had thought about it before, but it wasn't until then that I was like a hundred percent certain that that was the path I wanted to go on. And so I submitted my papers three weeks later and three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was a quick turnaround and it was insane too. Cause I wasn't in my home state of Arizona. Um, so it, it was a little tricky getting all the paperwork and stuff, um, from my family and getting everything that I needed to submit my papers. And so I, and my parents were actually out of the country too, at the time. I just remember that. And so <laughs> it was a little tricky putting it all together. Um, but I did and got my call and I left that following January. So it was a quick turnaround too, as to like when I was starting October to January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got my, I got the call in the mail while I was home for Thanksgiving. And so it was, yeah, it was a pretty quick turnaround. So one, I'm impressed. It sounds like you're just like a go-getter. Like your family's not even 
in town and you're putting your together this application <laughs> and then boom, like three months later and you weren't, you weren't planning to serve before the announcement. Um, I didn't have like formal plans. Like it was one of those things where I, I kind of thought to myself and I think a lot of sisters before the age change had the same thought, like, Oh, I'll, if I'm single and, you know, at a good place in my career, or, you know, done with school, I'll serve a mission at 21. Like it, it wasn't, it, like it was plan C or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like a, I'm for sure doing this. But when, once the age change happened, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly what I needed. And looking back, like Heavenly Father totally made a path for me to like literally the most seamless path I could have ever asked for to make it happen. Um, cause I was, like I said, I was in college as well. So my college too, um, the university I was going to didn't have any requirements for me to like put in like a leave of absence or anything like that. They were just like, we'll keep your scholarship. Wow. Well, you know, just when the enrollment email comes around, obviously just don't respond to it and we'll see you when you come back. And it was that easy. Like I didn't have to file any paperwork or I didn't have to really do anything other than just say, Hey, I'm not going to be taking classes for the next year and a half. And they were like, all right, bye. See you when you're back. Good luck. Yeah. Wow. So it was phenomenal. Um, and even my experiences in college too. I mean, growing up in Gilbert, I feel like I was definitely surrounded by the LDS culture and I didn't have too many friends that weren't members of the church. Um, I'd say about 90% of my friends were members and were active members of the church. So I didn't have much exposure outside of the church or being in an area that wasn't um, super LDS populated. So when I went to college in Orange County, I, my first year of college, I had a lot of really cool experiences that I think prepared me for my mission. Um, I had a specifically a roommate, um, my freshman year who I got really close with that wasn't a member of the church, but was very curious about religion in general. She was a religion minor and, um, she and I would talk like super late at night about the church and religion in general. And I think that kind of initiated that fire for me to share the gospel. Um, so yeah, it was such a great experience. This is a random plug, but like <laughs> I'm all for going to non like LDS traditional schools. Like I just think that there's so much value. Like there's so many great rubbing shoulders and yeah, there's yeah. just so many great, um, missionary opportunities you can have, but that's a whole nother tangent. That's something I'm really passionate about. That's for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like that experience, um, kind of coupled... excited about sharing the gospel and it is exciting. Yeah. It's so, it's so fun to see people like have these realizations, like God's there. And yeah. He cares. And yep. so you're home for Thanksgiving. I imagine you're surrounded by friends and, or at least family members. Yep. What were your thoughts opening the call and reading your mission? So I, <laughs> I was convinced that I was going out of the country. Um, I really, really, really wanted to go to New Zealand. So I kind of pretty much had like self-convinced that I was going to New Zealand. Is that just cause it's a beautiful place or what made you, what was so attractive about New Zealand to you? Mostly. Yeah. Mostly it's just beautiful. I'd never been there before. Um, and I always had really wanted to go and I was like, well, I guess what better time to go than a mission, you know? <laughs> but so I was just super stoked. Um, and I was, yeah, I was dead convinced. I was like, 
it's going to be New Zealand. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. <laughs> and then I opened my call and it says McAllen, Texas. And I was like, where the heck is McAllen, Texas? Like it was a total best two years moment where I was like, I don't need like, where's the map? Like, I don't even know where this place is. And, um, at my mission call opening, you know, we all do the little like get together, what, whatnot. You guess where you're going. Yeah. I have, I got this map, um, which I highly recommend everyone do this That's for those who are preparing. Yeah. Yeah. It was so fun. So I bought this like $2 map off of Amazon and I had people mark on the map with a little sticky where they thought I was going to go before I opened my, my call. Um, and I actually still have that map today and I framed it and I hang it on, over my bed because I, and I mean, I've moved quite a bit since my mission and I've always stuck that above my bed because it is for me, like such a great reminder of my mission and what it means to me. And it's just fun to see where everyone thought I was going because like my dad thought I was going to go to Africa and there's just some, I mean, some random places that I was like, I don't even know where that is, but okay. And then I get my call to McAllen, Texas stateside. And I was like, I don't even know where this is either. So we're just going to look on the map. And um, for those who don't know where it is, it is the most Southern tip of Texas. So you look at Texas and you just go straight to the very, 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 very bottom tip. And that's where McAllen is. So... You, you, you get your mission call and you're going to go and it seems like the stars align for you to go like pretty quick. What was your, what was your biggest concern going on your mission? Um, my biggest concern, I, I don't really think I had one necessarily. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, my brother had served a mission. My dad served a mission, but there, I was the first sister missionary to serve in my family. Um, and so I think it was, if anything, I, I think it was just like the fear of the unknown. Like, what is this going to be like? As well as also kind of, which I think all missionaries before they go out kind of feel a little bit of like, am I going to be good enough for this? Like, have I truly developed a testimony of the gospel that is strong enough to go and teach others and say, Hey, you need to listen to this too. Um, and so I, yeah, I wouldn't say I necessarily had huge doubts or fears going into the mission. It was just more like, I don't know what to expect mm -hmm. at all. So let's, let's jump to going into the unknown. Okay. You get off the airplane. You, I don't know which airport, but eventually you're in McAllen, Texas. It's your first day. Yep. What was that like? <laughs> oh gosh. It feels like it was yesterday sometimes. Um, <laughs> as I look back, I part of the first wave of young sister missionaries, the, the beautiful bubble, as we like to call it. Oh, I love that. The beautiful bubble. <laughs> There's a lot of testosterone in the mission before those days. This is true. This is very true. Um, so there were, I think 11 sisters that came into the mission with me and like two elders. So, we, yeah, there was a lot of estrogen on that, <laughs> on that plane. Um, so thankfully I, I was kind of thrown into the fire, like pretty early on in my mission. Cause my first area was almost, I would say like 75% Spanish and I had a Latin companion. And so I learned a lot of 
Spanish from her. But then at my eight weeks, I was told I was going to train and whitewash an area that was almost 100 percent Spanish. Yeah, that's a fun story we can get into. Yeah, later. we'll get into that <laughs> right after this. <laughs> so, um, so after getting thrown into that, like being only actually, I don't even think I was eight weeks. I think I was like six. No, it was right after a transfer, which is six weeks. So, um, I was eight weeks in find out I'm going to be training a greenie, which for those who don't know what greenies are like brand new missionaries that are coming in as well as whitewashing the area and being in almost exclusively Spanish area. Um, so that was that experience alone. I feel like is what really propelled my desire to really dive into the language. Cause I know we talk about like in the church, we talk about the gift of tongues and it is so real in the mission, but you really do have to put in the work too. Like I'm a strong believer in that you really need to practice the language every single day and like really put forth your effort in order to receive that blessing of the gift of tongues and to be able to like, really get the language and understand it so you can teach well. Um, so I feel like all of those experiences combined really helped me to get the language pretty quickly. Like I would say I understood things at about month three, but it wasn't until month five that I was like, I got this. Like I, I have no problems like just having a conversation with someone and, you know, not having any script whatsoever or anything like that. So, so take us back to that, what you're out eight weeks and you get the call that you're not only training a new missionary, which at eight weeks, like there's missionaries that have been out for over a year. Like they might, they might've been good. That's, I don't know. What were your thoughts? Yep. <laughs> um, I was freaked out of my mind. <laughs> I, um, I had no idea what I was doing in the mission. Obviously I'd only been out there a few weeks and I didn't know how to like run an area. You know, I had a senior companion who was training me. I hadn't even finished like my formal like training that we do as missionaries once we're in the field, the full, like the, the full 12 week training. Um, and I honestly was kind of training myself at that point too already. And so it was kind of like, how do I do this? And my poor companion, that girl, I put her through the ringer and she took it in stride. Like we, we just went out and we tried our best and the miracles that came from that were unreal. Like Heavenly father knew how much we were struggling and the support that we received from the members and the relationships that we created with the members were so crucial in our success, um, in bringing others to Christ. And that really, honestly, I think is what helped us to be successful in that area was creating those relationships. And then, just hard work, like just doing your best and going out there and, and having faith that God is going to do the rest. And it was awesome. Like we saw so many miracles and. Is, is there anyone like specifically that you, you can tell us their story that you met or that the members helped you work with? Yeah. So there is one family that comes to mind in this specific area that I just have such a deep love for. Um, they were what we call part member family. So some of the members in the family were not members of the church. Um, others were, and I knew the brother and the sister, one of the sisters really, really well. Um, and after talking to them about their other sister, who was not a member of the church, 
we kind of were trying to figure out a way where we can engage with them that didn't feel too um, forced because for so many years they had had missionaries come through their doors and every single time it was like, we're not interested. We already know what, you know, you're going to say, we already have members in our family who are, you know, of your faith and are trying to like convert us to, and we don't want, we don't want anything to do. This is, this is true to every area that a missionary, (laughs) there will be a part member family. They will have seen missionaries for years and years and you got to figure out how, how to get through. Yep. Exactly. Um, Or if it's the right time to get through. Yeah. And they were a Spanish family. um, And some of the kids knew English and the husband of this. Okay. Let me, I'm trying to figure out how I can make this as least complicated as possible in explaining this family tree. So the member, the family members that were members of the family, the husband spoke English um, and the wife only spoke Spanish. And then the non-member family, they all only spoke Spanish. The kids spoke a little English, but they only spoke Spanish. And so me and my little companion, like we not really knowing a lick of Spanish at this point, you know, begin trying to engage with them in any way we could, um, with the help of the brother-in-law who could speak with us in English and, you know, help us communicate with this family in Spanish. So we began doing service with them and kind of just engaging with the family as a whole, like doing family home evenings and which for those who don't know, are just kind of like family get togethers and activity like that you do together as a family, like dinner and activity. Um, so they would, they lived down the street from each other. So we would just kind of engage with them that way and, um, do little spiritual thoughts and, and whatnot. And it wasn't until I would say about two months in that we really had some really incredible breakthroughs and miracles with, um, the sister or the wife of the fam that the family that was not members. Um, so she started to come to church consistently with their kids and really was like, I am so excited about this now. Like I've never felt this way before about the church and now I'm really ready to, to get baptized. And we were stoked. We're like, this is so cool. Like we, you know, this family has been trying for years and what a, a blessing and a miracle it is that she's now, um, open to getting baptized. Um, but the, the big obstacle that we had was that they, her and her partner were not formally married. And so we had to figure out how we could get them married, um, before she could get baptized. So there was a whole process around that, but we did it. Um, and then she got baptized and their oldest son got baptized. And then a few months down the road, the husband came around and also got baptized. And that was a really, really like to this day, probably top three favorite moments of my mission was seeing that family all together and they are incredible and I I love them so, so much. So that was probably the highlight in that specific area and not knowing much Spanish at all. I'm still pretty dumbfounded that it happened (laughs) (laughs) because I don't know what she got out of the lessons or what it was. It was obviously the spirit, but you know what I mean? Like our communication was not really super strong at that point. Um, and then I actually, it was funny cause I went back, um, later, I can't remember. I, I think it was actually after my mission and got to hang out with them for a while. And I hadn't seen them since I left that area. And she's like, wow, your Spanish has gotten a lot better than when you taught us. <laughs> 
So it, they are just such a wonderful family. And that experience was so special to me. Um, yeah. So miracle, the miracles do happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's unreal. And I think it's especially when you're young on your mission is when you get thrown into these moments when you're like, how am I going to do this? Like I've only been speaking Spanish for six, eight weeks and now I have to train another missionary and I have to try to teach people in a different language about the gospel and try to get them baptized. And you learn really quick in those moments that it's not all you and that you're not all alone. But I think you have to have those struggles to kind of um, solidify your faith, the rest of your testimony that Heavenly Father is going to step in and help you out. Totally. It's a sink or swim, right? It's like you either in that moment decide that you're going to put your faith 100% into the Lord and just trust that he's going to do his part and fulfill his promises or you decide in that moment that it's not going to work. And then those blessings will not come like they, they, they won't. And that's, you know, it's <laughs> to me, it's kind of black and white. And the mission I think is such a great incubator of teaching you that lesson and that principle in the gospel. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways in general, my mission is realizing how much we need to rely on God and the atonement as well as just like putting faith, hundred percent faith, not, you know, 90 or 80% of our faith, but hundred percent of, of our faith in him and that he can make things happen. Yeah. And it's fun as a missionary. Cause on the other end, you get to have the, you, you get a special relationship with your heavenly father and Jesus Christ, but you get to say, Hey, I'm doing everything I can. And you said that you'd help me. So I expect it to happen. And at least that's how my prayers were. Maybe I was a little bolder with Heavenly Father, but it's just like, you, you said it would happen, so I'm going to do it. And then yeah. it happens and you're like, this is awesome. You're not wrong. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's it's pretty incredible. What about, were you ever chased like, by like a dog or an animal or anything? Oh my gosh. I, I know as an elder I was, like, especially when my, like if you're moving, for some reason, if you're moving fast, a dog wants to get you. Oh yeah, 100%. And in McAllen, there are... Um, million stray dogs. It's like Mexico. Oh, 100%. You see them everywhere. And there's this one neighbor actually in specific where we would have like these group of dogs walk with us. Like we'd come to the neighborhood and start like walking on the street, talking to people and they would just follow us. It was hysterical. Um, but we did, <laughs> my companion is going to hate that I tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyways, because it was probably the funniest experience. I had with her. Um, so she, this was actually before she and I formally became companions. We were on what we call exchanges. Um, so we were just, we swapped companions for the day to go double the work in the area. And so she and I were tracting around um, the area and there was this, I mean, this, this basset hound had to be like 10 years old, super old dog. He was just like howling at us in, in this person's front yard, not even coming close to us or anything. He's just staring at us. And we go and knock on the, their door. They don't answer. We start walking away. I may be about a foot ahead of her. And all of a sudden, I just see her zoom by me like she's running for her life. And when you see your companion doing that, you're like, especially in this area, you're like, okay, dog's chasing us, right? Because that's the natural reaction. So I turn around and start kind of like running. And lo and behold, it's this 10-year-old basset hound that's just like trotting 
at her, like towards her peacefully. (laughs) And I just stop and I just start laughing my head off. I'm like, it's a 10 year old basset hound. It's not going to hurt you. Like this thing is just old and grumpy. And the basset hounds, they're the ones like the super droopy ears. Yep. And like, little, really gr- <laughs> like they have small legs. They can't move fast. They can't at all. And the best part of it all was that there were so many families out too, just watching this all happen. <laughs> so there was like, oh my gosh. And well, we also actually at that same moment, um, after we ran and had everyone watching us, we walk up to this family because we're like, oh, it's fine. We'll just go interact with some families now, even though they just saw us like looking like a circus running from this dog. And we ended up baptizing that family. No. Yep. <laughs> they had so much mercy for you guys. Like if they're going to get chased by a dog, well, at least they hear their message. Yep. It was, it was hilarious. And that was actually our goal for the day was to find a family to teach. You want, you want to talk about Sally and Jim? Yeah. Okay. Sandy and Jim were a couple that we had gotten in contact with as a result of the sisters who were in the area prior to us. So my companion and I were going in whitewashing the area. Meaning, Again. Yeah. <laughs> I did this a couple of times in the mission. It was pretty fun. So uh, just, just to stop real quick, whitewashing is when you and a companion I have to describe everything to make yeah, sure everyone. You're good. So whitewashing is when you and your companion have are both new to an area, and it's really difficult because you're both one. You're trying to learn who to teach, but you're trying to learn where you live and the geography, and like not get lost in this new town or city that you're in. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I had already been in an area that was right next to this one that we were whitewashing, and in the same ward. Okay. Um, and Sandy and Jim had already been talking to the sisters who had been in that area previously. Um, they, Jim had been a um, lifelong member, but had been inactive for over 20 years. And his wife, Sandy was not a member of the church. Um, but she was having some really difficult health issues. And so he'd asked the sisters, he had reached out and asked the sisters to come start doing service. Um, so the sisters started to come and do like weekly service at their house, um, before we got there. And then I think it was about a a few weeks before we had gotten there. Sandy had undergone a triple bypass surgery. Mm. So super intense. She was in the hospital. Um, and so a way that we decided to reach out was we would go visit her and sing to her in the hospital. And at that point, she was already pretty much converted to the gospel. She had been reading the Book of Mormon every day after surgery and was like, I am so grateful that these sisters have come to serve me and that I have been introduced to this gospel. Um, and Jim also had, you know, been coming back to church and, and getting re-integrated um, back into the church. And so um she was what we like to call a gold investigator, meaning that they were just so prepared and ready to hear the gospel that it was just like, she just was like, where, where's the night, the baptismal font? Like, I want to get baptized today. And we're like, hang on, we, we got some stuff we got to still teach you and work with you on before you, you get to that point. But we're super pumped that you're this excited about it. And so um, the members also were crucial in her conversion. Um, they would go and visit her in the hospital every single day. 
Wow. Like literally every single day, That's someone awesome. else from this, this ward would go see her. And this ward was not big. Like this was a pretty small ward and every single day someone came and saw her. And it was, that was a huge testimony builder to me of Christ-like service and really just loving the way that Christ would love. We honestly, the week before her baptism, we were like, <laughs> we don't know if this is going to happen. Like, because she medically had to be cleared to actually be able to go through with, you know, the baptism motion of like going under the water completely and coming back out. And we didn't know if physically her body would be able to take that. And it all worked out. Um, and it was, it was such an incredible experience. Uh, I would have to say one of my favorite um, baptisms I've ever attended. The spirit was so strong and she was just so excited and just looked so bright and, you know, just had this wonderful light around her. And they actually got sealed um, a year later in, or no, I'm sorry. It wasn't a year later. It was a couple of years later in the Salt Lake City Temple. Um, and that was really a really cool experience that my companion, I got to, to be at and they are just, uh, I loved that couple. They would feed us every week and the best like Southern food. Mm. <laughs> so they were wonderful. How did your companions help you strengthen your testimony of Jesus Christ or, or of the gospel in general? That's a good question. Um, I feel like each of my companions were definitely given to me uh, for a specific reason um, at each point in my mission. Because I feel like in, in your mission, you hit certain milestones, right? And certain, um, you have certain experiences that really transform what your mission is. And I feel like the companions that, that I was paired with during those specific times um just taught me, I mean, every single one of them taught me such a different lesson of faith, um, endurance, love and compassion, um, service, just so many, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to run through my head here and give you a specific example, but I, every single one of my companions was such a tender mercy for me in those specific times of my mission. I think there's definitely, and I love that you're pointing out all these things that you learned from your companions. I don't know if you get along with every person that you are with 24 seven. It's easy. Even, even people I like, I don't know if I like them 24 seven, Yep. but it's true that on your mission and in life in general, if you look for the good in someone, like you will be taught a lesson that they can teach you, you know? Yep. Oh, 100%. Like I, I mean, there were definitely companions that I, you know, knocked heads with for sure at times. Um, but at the end of the day, like I knew we both had a, had a love and appreciation for each other. And that I feel like definitely that lesson alone of that's huge. Yeah. Of understanding, like if you're both committed to the same goal, like everything else will kind of work itself out. Exactly. Oh, 100%. So I feel like that, alone was such a valuable lesson in those companionships that I, sh that I struggled with. And I honestly, I don't really feel like I had, I mean, I, I maybe had like two companions that I had some rough moments with, but I, I wouldn't say that like we, we struggled the entire time we were together. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
So, but I definitely, and that, like you said, that lesson, I think is such just a good general life lesson of, you know, you're not going to love everyone a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> but it's the, the real trick is learning how to like get along with them and to appreciate them for their faults and their strengths. You mentioned early on that in your mission that like you had concerns that like maybe like if you were good enough or like what, what was the turning point of your mission when it went from like, I don't know if I can do this and I'm going into the unknown to like, I'm doing this and like, this is, I don't know, like the work's moving forward and I'm confident as a missionary. What was that? That is a good question. Um, or did you have that moment? Cause I asked my question, my cousin, that same question. And she's like, at the very end of my mission, like, I guess I made it like, you know, it was like a survival story. <laughs> you survived. So I don't know. Like everyone has a different kind of answer. Um, I, okay. So I will say, I think one of the largest lessons I learned on my mission is I cannot go through this life alone. Um, I need God and I need his mercy, his love, his support, his strength. Um, and he, I, I would say going into the mission, I had a very hard head. Um, I grew up very independent and just wanted to figure it out on my own and thought that I could do it on my own, which I was painfully wrong and corrected, lovingly corrected, I'll say by the Lord on my mission. Um, and I think one of the big experiences that comes to mind is I, so I was born with a, a really rare condition that um, from time to time affects me more than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and on my mission, um, I kind of hit rock bottom with my health. I was running myself ragged for so long on my mission that my body pretty much gave out. And the medications that I was taking that normally were supposed to help my body to function properly had kind of just completely stopped working. Um, and that was about halfway through my mission. And so I had nine months where I was literally running on empty at all times and empty meaning like I could sometimes not even keep my eyes open as we were like going working throughout the day. And going back to the companion thing, like the companions I had at that moment when it was really, really bad showed me so much love and charity and support and like (laughs) literally had to like force me to stop working because I wouldn't have forced myself to stop working. And it was that moment that I really got clear the principle of like, you cannot do this. You cannot go through life alone. Um, you cannot do it on your own. You need me, God, like you need his love, his support, his strength when you cannot go any further. And I mean, ever since then, since I decided and I changed my mentality to like, that is a sign of, because to me, it was always a sign of weakness almost because I'd been told so many times, you're not gonna be able to do this. You're not gonna be able to do that. That I was like, so determined. Yes, to, I will. Yeah. So, 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 so determined. And that I, I could do it all on my own. I didn't need anyone's help. And it wasn't until those moments on my mission where I was literally at rock bottom 
um, physically that I needed God. And honestly, those last nine months were the best months of my mission. Like as difficult and as like hard it was physically, like I came home and I pretty much slept three days straight. And then I went to the doctor and they're like, I don't know how you've done this for the last like nine plus months. Cause it was, I, my body was so shot. Um, and so it was incredible. Like that whole experience really taught me like God will pick you up when you were down and he will put the people necessary in your life in those moments to help you. That's awesome. And I feel like as members, I, I would refer to that as the enabling power of the atonement or yep. what um, a lot of other Christians would refer to as grace. Yep. Jesus Christ's help to, to strengthen you or make you more than, than what you really are. And I think, I think you hit on the head that a lot of us don't, we always think of the atonement as like, I made a mistake. Let's, let's get this corrected. Cause I, like my conscience doesn't feel good. Yep. But the atonement's also like, Heavenly father, I can't do this. And you've asked me to do this. And so you're gonna have to help me or like, I, I don't know if I can like, there, there needs to be more of me and I, there's not more of me. So you, you got to multiply me or something. Yep. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And that's the tough thing is when we get the, the beautiful thing about being a greenie is that you have to rely on the Lord and that's in life. And then you get comfortable and then you might think like, no, nah, I got this now. Like, all right, like don't need so much help. Yeah. And the, the true lesson is you always need help. Oh, what? Like 100%. Like I, I laugh now at myself when I think like, how did you think you were going to be able to do all this by yourself? Like, seriously, <laughs> like you need God, like whether you want to admit it to yourself and whether you want to like, you know, say it's, you know, I'm just stubborn or I'm independent. I can handle on my own. Like, I'm sorry, reality check. You can't <laughs> like, seriously, like you need God. And especially on your mission, like you, you get so clear that you literally like this life is so much bigger than you. Like, I'm, like I said, like this, this disease that I had, I, I was born with, I dealt with this for 19 years before I went on my mission. And it wasn't until I was thrown into my mission and my, you know, living in that, that environment um, and that lifestyle of a missionary that I really became clear that like, hello, light bulb, you need God and you can't do this life on your own. And that was a huge, oh my gosh, huge turning point in my mission. And since then I feel like I, one, I have a lot of, um, a lot of sympathy for those who struggle while they're on the mission with different ailments. What? I mean, you're serving on the border of the U S and Mexico and you're from Arizona. So I don't know. I feel like people from Utah or my, like my friends from other States, like don't understand immigration as much as we do or, or see it. Like how, how did that affect what, like what, what experiences with immigration did you have on, on the border or, or did you have any, was it, I don't know. That's a good one. That's a tough one. I mean, I don't want to get, uh, so again, Jordan and I, we were talking about this earlier, like the immigration is such a hot topic there. Um, like it is here in Arizona and, um, it's a very tense one. Um, 
I mean, at some points, like you would have investigators who would have got, who would get deported. You'd show up to their house and you'd find out that they'd been deported back to Mexico. Um, and then on the flip side, you would meet people who, um, were American citizens and had come from Mexico to seek refuge because of how bad it was over there and how dangerous it was. Like they were scared that their children would be shot in the streets. Mm. I, I came to have a totally different perspective. Like really, as I really got to know these people and their stories and why they were here. Cause the interesting thing was a lot of them actually didn't even want to be in the States. Like they really missed Mexico. I don't know if people understand like how much it's just not safe where they live. So they can't be there anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, they love their culture. Like that Latin pride is so runs so deep in them. And so coming to the States is really for protection. Like it's not, I mean, they want to go back. A lot of them are like, we would love to go back to Mexico, but it's not safe. Like we'd rather be here than there and worry if our kids are going to get shot in our streets. So it definitely gave me a different perspective on, um, and understanding as to where the real issues are with when it comes to immigration. It's really incredible. And I don't want to get, I don't want everyone's entitled to their own thoughts. I don't want to get political or anything, but I think, I think overall, but it seems like the gospel it doesn't seem the gospel is without borders. 100%. Like my, my, so my second mission president, president Malwenda, um, he, that was his whole mantra was God has no borders. So it doesn't matter if they are, if they have issues with immigration or not, like they are a child of God and they deserve to hear the gospel and be a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as much as any other human on this planet deserves. What kind of wrapping up, I don't know if there's anything else you want to, was there any advice that you received before your mission that you thought was just really good for you? Cause you get a lot. Everyone has their advice. At least I did. It's yeah. like 20 different people. And I can't remember anything, but I remember one thing that my brother said, but was there any, any specific advice you received before your mission that really stood out to you? I honestly, I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Um, and it was hard cause like I didn't, I hadn't really met a ton of return sister missionaries. Mm. I like missions for elders are so different than missions for sisters. And so I, I didn't really get the perspective of like what a mission is like for a sister. And so I can't think of any other than just like enjoy the journey kind of vibes like just go out there and that's the advice I would give anyone like trying to decide to serve a mission or is getting ready to serve a mission like just enjoy the ride like don't get caught up in the logistics don't get caught up in am I good enough don't get caught up in am I you know saying this conjugation of this word correctly kind of thing like just enjoy and have build your faith that God is going to provide a way and the mission will change you if you let it. It sounds like the, the experience in, that you mentioned earlier in that, like that it comes a point in your mission when you have to have faith or not. 
Yeah. And like, if you have faith, like it'll move forward and it'll be hard. But, and then if you decide not to ever like act on things or like really trust the Lord, yep. then you're just left in the dark and you're like, man, like that was frustrating. It's like, well, you didn't allow it to work. I mean, we put limits on God and that's the funny thing. Like, why, why do we put limits on God? Like he is all knowing, all powerful. Don't put limits on him and he will do wonders for you. Absolutely. Larissa wrapping up, would you mind sharing a little testimony in your, in your mission language in Espanol? In Espanol. Okay. Let's see. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've done this. So wow. let's uh, see how this goes guys. <laughs> um, pues mi, mi testimony es que todos somos hijos de Dios. Um, y, y él nos ama y, y nos conoce. Eh, nos envió aquí para aprender, progresar, crecer y, y volver a él. Um, sé que José Smith fue un profeta de Dios y que él recibió las llaves del sacerdocio para restaurar la iglesia de Jesucristo en la tierra. Uh, sé que a través de, de ese poder y guía tradujo el libro de Mormón y, y sé que ese, el libro de Mormón nos, nos fue dado para ayudarnos y guiarnos de regreso a nuestro Padre Celestial. Y sé que las familias son eternas y que uh, podemos estar con ellos para siempre. Y... También yo sé que Jesucristo es nuestro Salvador y, y también nos ama tanto. Y digo esas cosas en, en el nombre de Jesucristo, nuestro Salvador. Amén. Amén. Larsa, thanks again for coming on and thank you, you listeners for listening. <laughs> um, feel free to like and subscribe and please share with your with your family and friends and especially any missionary that's gotten their call to McAllen, Texas, but we will post this on Sunday. Until then, have a great week.